0: Hi everyone and welcome back to the show. Today I have probably one of my dream episodes. Today I have the opportunity to interview two pioneers, James Keegans and Penny Reynolds, two friends that have a long-lasting relationship connected with decades of the WFM industry. Join us in this unique opportunity to see WFM from their lens. Let's go. This episode is sponsored by Injinsu, but more on that later.
1: Jim, Penny, thank you for joining us today. How are you doing?
2: We're doing good. Happy to be here with you.
1: Thanks,
3: Andre. Yeah.
1: Like I said, when we were preparing for the for podcast today, it's truly an honor to have you both here. I know it's super early for you. So once again, thank you one more time for for the availability. Uh, and if you allow me, Jim, Jim I would start with Penny. Uh, I would love to start with you. And I wanted, if you could take us back, Uh, to your early days in the industry. What are some of the initial challenges you faced uh, and how did you navigate them? I really wanted to hear a bit from the journey through the WFM industry from your eyes.
4: Okay,
2: well, I'll try not to bore you with my whole career (laughs) history, but uh, in terms of this industry, I started in the early 80s and um, started with a company called Telco Research, which was one of two companies that started out in Nashville, Tennessee, as a result of a project from the Graduate School of Management at Vanderbilt. So I worked for one of these companies um, doing primarily telecommunications consulting. So at that point, um, not so much the inbound. We were more concerned with how many uh, telephone lines companies needed to talk to one another and their customers and so on. So I was doing consulting in, in that mode. Uh, meanwhile, during that time in the 80s, a lot of things were happening that would really come to influence the, the call center world. Um, 800 numbers had already been introduced, but not in wide use at all, the toll-free numbers. There were two companies that had developed some technology. Um, Rockwell and Technocron um, developed this brand new thing called an ACD, an automatic call distributor. So Uh, Rather than calls coming into specific people, it can now go into one place and get distributed out appropriately. So that was kind of new stuff going on. um, on.
1: Was a technological (laughs) advancement, I would say. It
2: was a huge technological advancement. Absolutely. Jim's going to give a little bit more detail about that. He's older than me, so he knows more about that. (laughs) Um, Some companies starting to use that. And uh, one of the first was Continental Airlines. And we think that's one of the reasons that the people that work in centers today sometimes are still referred to as as agents back then they were ticket agents but uh, that's somehow we think that's where that term came from but for me at that point the uh, focus was on telecommunications and traffic engineering primarily for companies making their calls and then we started seeing more and more of the inbound come along um, meanwhile over across the street kind mm-hmm. of um, was this other company Uh, Same group of graduate students from Vanderbilt that had started uh, Telephone Control Systems, TCS, TCS Management Group. And that group was also starting out doing all sorts of consulting. But one huge consulting project led um, to the need for figuring out not just how many phone lines, but the other resource, how many people need to be here uh, to handle these calls, and so they started a uh, program called the Manpower Planning System, would later be renamed. Um, but all that happened in the in the early '80s. So all of this was sort of the '80s kind of thing. So during the time of we were out discoing and, and all that, <laughs> all this is going on in the technology. Penny
3: still discos from I time know, to time. When I, whenever <laughs> I. It's not something that's particularly fun to watch, but.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I think I would say if we're talking about the sort of the the birth of workforce Mm. management kind of happened in the late 80s. Again, um, the technology making it happen to distribute calls. Those kinds of things had happened with operator services and so on. I think Jim's going to touch on that. But I would say really the birth of all this really started in the the late 80s, which is the time that I then came across the street from Telco (laughs) Research uh, over to TCS Management Group, which at the time I was the 13th employee there. Um, And then I continued to do consulting and then moved into marketing. And that's how Jim and I started working together. He was sales and I was marketing. But um, Jim, I'm going to let you sort of add some thoughts about this whole history thing.
3: While Penny was speaking, it occurred to me that the uh, kind of story of the contact center evolution really is a story of the telecom technology, IT technology, and then human resource utilization and management those kind of three threads if you will would be one way to look at how the industry has evolved over the last 30 plus years um, as penny mentioned uh, kind of my draw into the industry just on a personal note was i have been in higher education i was a university professor and Fortunately for me, I landed in an industry, and a discipline that kind of lends itself to an educator's mindset uh, because of both uh, mathematical algorithms involved and some of the complexity involved in the technology itself. Um, as she alluded, uh, the, in terms of workforce planning, the earliest days were in operator services. And you as a young man have probably seen these <laughs> ancient pictures of all of these operators with uh cords with the switches.
1: In. Yes, yes,
3: exactly. <clears throat> and uh, those were PBX switchboards, private branch exchange or public branch exchange switchboards. And there was a, uh, the task of saying, how many operators do we need? Not only for general operator services, but for what became known as 411 calls. Um, and, they actually referred to the scheduling process as tours. And for some time in the industry, you would, instead of schedules, they would talk about a tour Um, as some things changed in terms of regulation of the telecom industry. And we can perhaps go down that path uh, at some point, but uh, the whole idea of serving customers through a bank of operators or agents or customer service reps, if you will, became commercialized. And there were just a, a handful of technology providers. This coincided again with kind of IT and, and computer technology development at the time, uh, who had developed software that incorporated these very complicated queuing algorithms and probability uh, theory to make these determinations based on traffic, based on volume and based on other variables, like what level of service did you wanna provide to customers? And so we were both fortunate to land with a company that uh, was actually started. We have these close ties to Vanderbilt University, which is based here, that had done consulting in this area. And when they would go in with a technology provider who had the infrastructure platform, and talk about the things that could be done in terms of calculating both the the facilities that were needed. At this time, a lot of the telecom facilities were, there was a very complicated tariff. And so it was very uh, costly if you didn't have the optimization both of the uh, telecom facilities as well as then the staff, which as we know becomes the single largest expense in operating a call center. They would go in and speak about these types of capabilities, and it would capture the attention of the likes of Continental Airlines, no longer in existence as an airline, but also uh, for this company that we were with, TCS, uh, American Express, who was one of the leaders in the U.S. in terms of providing support services to their card members through these contact... uh, then called call centers, if you will. And that led to kind of a follow-on conversation that said, hey, we're intrigued about this. Can you actually write software that does this? And the answer was yes. And so a company called TCS, which later was acquired by Aspect, now known as Alvaria, a company called TCS, at the time a company called Affinitech, and a company called Cybernetics, were kind of the three pioneers in terms of software that addressed this human resource planning uh, mm-hmm. capability. So those, those were kind of the early days. We, we get caught up in, in reminiscing, and then we remind ourselves that probably most people don't care that much <laughs> about <laughs> what happened 30-plus years ago.
1: I actually was going to, to say that it's really fascinating, even though I knew part of the story, uh, there is some of the details you shared, like uh, it's mesmerizing, like the advance that not only the industry itself, but and and we have been speaking a lot about technology nowadays. That is a huge automation and AI technology mm-hmm. booms. This is like history repeating itself. It's just like it happened a while back. Uh, it will continue to happen across generations and across the industries. And I think it's always good to know where you came from because that helps define the actual problems and variables we're trying to solve and and actually validate that some of them are still the same. It's just that the perspectives are different or the resources you have available is different are different as well. For me, super, super exciting to to know that. And I actually wanted to, if you don't mind Jim to continue with you. Uh, one thing you, you mentioned uh you mentioned some of the challenges uh that the centers at the time faced I like the the visualization you 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 started in the beginning from that evolution to the human resource uh, slash mm-hmm. contact center like it really started there mm-hmm. um I wanted to, to your view on so when you move from 30 years ago to today um some of the existing call centers and service centers uh still face persisting issues some of them are they are very similar how 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 is the approach on overcoming those over time and what what is your take on like across the years did that change the, the approach did the, the the challenge change dramatically are the mm-hmm. problems no longer the same are are they still the same um i i, I probably by mistake said that they are similar but I, I wanted to know your your thoughts here
3: yeah i think they're similar in that they are still challenging <clears throat> the uh, yeah if you if you were to consolidate And and this is a bit of an artificial construct. But if you were to consolidate your thinking to this technology stream and this human stream, which has all kinds of implications that we may touch on later in terms of uh, artificial intelligence and its role in the contact center, et cetera, Mm -hmm. you you see a shift. Uh, Technology always moves toward commoditization. And I think that's a trend that will continue. Um, and we used to say that we didn't have a corner on bright, resourceful programmers. That's true as, uh, fond as I am of German engineering and of Envision and the injixo software. Uh, the key is, is not only having, uh, talented programmers to create software to solve complicated problems, but the differentiation becomes on this human side. And that's still true and still a challenge i think in the contact center industry as a whole although the the move has been to try to uh eliminate the human element in any number of ways possible uh and and many of them appropriately so because it's also costly it's kind of messy uh, when you have to deal with uh human elements um but i think that the challenges that remain are not dramatically different, but the magnitude of them and the, the nuance has shifted.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: I, I have some responses. Penny wants to jump in here, too. So we need to, <laughs> I need to uh, uh, tie a ribbon around some of this stream of consciousness here. But um, the, the primary challenges that I see remain on the human resource side. Uh, Mm -hmm. Agent attrition remains, in my view, the most significant unresolved industry challenge. Uh, Quite frankly, some of that is because being a contact center agent is, in many instances, not a very pleasant job. (laughs) Uh, The expectations that both the employer and the consumer have on those individuals just makes it really difficult and leads to these high attrition rates and then i can talk some more about this but yeah mm, we'll, we'll go
1: there i was going to say, penny to bring you to the conversation so <clears throat> I, i'm curious when um based on this story when did you find the appeal to actually found uh, become the founder or partner of the contact center school i would i would love to know the story uh, Benit. but i, I Knowing the story in behind, and I really wanted to tie that story with what Jim was saying about solving these different problems and the perception issues. And how do you think that creating this helped shaping the the profession of professionals and and, and improving professionals as well over time?
2: Okay, yeah, that's kind of where I wanted to to jump in. If you talk about the challenges back then and now, I think one of the biggest ones is just. People, the software has changed, technology has evolved so greatly, but there's still the need to understand the fundamentals of all these things. And I think that's where in the early days at TCS, we really set ourselves apart. As a matter of fact, our, our tagline for the company was the solution is service. And um, as Jim said, there was no, you know, we didn't have the best programmers in the world. They like, were great. Um, But what set that company apart was the service and the education and support behind the tool. And so from the early days and from my early days, even coming for TCS, um, I taught a lot of classes. So as I came into TCS and took over a marketing role, we basically marketed by educating people. Um, I wrote a lot of articles. I uh, did a lot of conference speeches And, you know, there was this following of people that were just so hungry for basic information about the fundamental principles of workforce management, how past data can help you predict the future and how many people do you need and why and what's the impact of a few more, a few less people. So um, that became such a huge thing. And as you talk about the evolution, um, that same talk that I did, I don't know, 25, 30 years ago, um, I still do at the annual SWPP conference of workforce planners and all the new people that are there, they're, there just like writing down everything I say and whatever. It's like, how can this still be relevant 30 years later? But it is, it's the basic fundamental uh, yeah. knowledge. And I think that that is one thing that's really carried through, but again, mm-hmm. it's all about the, the people part. And I think how TCS set itself apart. And, and that's actually why you asked me about the call center school. Yeah. Um, while at TCS, we discovered that people were hungry for education. We had a very successful uh, marketing campaign is what it started out to be, but we uh, created this call center showcase tour. Um, Jim and I came up with that idea where people wanted to go see other call centers that were, you know, with best practices. So we
4: mm-hmm.
2: really pinpointed our stellar customers And of course, from a sales and marketing perspective, we wanted those centers to be visited so they could see our software in action. But we also wanted people to go see best practices. And so we would do some classes, they would see things as they should be done and so on. Um, As part of TCS, we, we just kept seeing people are hungry for education. So we started a division at TCS called Call Center University. And uh, it was primarily workforce management training, but we started branching out into uh, call center supervision and performance management in general and so on. Um, As um, TCS was acquired by Aspect and we're part of a bigger, much bigger corporation now, and it wasn't where we thought the education belonged. So a few of us kind of split off and started the call center school. And uh, we started out with um, the traditional you know, in-person training. We decided we were tired of training, <laughs> and back in 2001, we thought, wouldn't it be a great idea if we taught via web seminars? So people could see our slides and hear us talk, and maybe even some video. And um, so we started a whole series of web seminars. Um, they weren't very popular at first because people were not used to this sort of learning via, like you know, a podcast and um, you know, web web classes and Zoom and all that. Um, so it it was a slow start, but I mean this. Uh, I kind of really hate to tell this part of it, but it impacted our business. Um, we were not seeing a huge uptake in in web classes, and then I'm telling you, it's 2001. Remember what mm-hmm. happened in September of 2001. So after September 11th, people were very um, reluctant to travel and so on, and so all of a sudden people were like, "Hey, what about those web classes?" Mm-hmm. And that part of our business took off like crazy. And then that expanded into, you know, um, asynchronous learning and, um, e-learning and so on. But it was, we, we, that first year we had 26 topics. We delivered one a week and we developed them one a week <laughs> for the first 26 yeah. weeks of the year. And then we repeated and we eventually grew the curriculum to over 50 classes and, and so on. But, um, I think it's still true today that I see mm. I go to a, a trade show, a conference, or SWPP, the Workforce Planners Conference, and there's so much amazing technology, um, but people are still hungry. They're still coming to those fundamental classes to, for that basic understanding. So I think that is something that's always been a challenge and is very similar from the 1980s mm-hmm. to today. Um, that, that's
1: yeah. the same. And if you allow me, uh, first saying that... I- I have used the services of the Contact Center School for my teams in the past. Mm -hmm. Uh, And one of the things you mentioned, and it's countless the amount of times we speak about education, um, and education by the professionals in the industry where they are coming from. Jim, you mentioned about that not being a super appealing job sometimes from the outside. So when people Mm -hmm. think about it, and the truth is that there is no so there is not a clear path when people are in universities or or studying to actually Mm -hmm. join this industry. So it's normally by accident, the majority of the times, and and these programs really help elevate the professionals. I think, uh, and and that's for me, uh, it's important to say because I think it it creates a contribute to what the future is for the industry. Um, I think, I still think there is a, I don't know what your thoughts are. And probably I would ask the question uh, because you have been doing this for a longer time. I, I still think that we don't have a very clear standard of what mm-hmm. is great, best in class. I think we have a sense of more or less what that look like, but it's very different between countries, between regions, between mm-hmm. sectors in the industry. Uh, but hopefully one day, and this is something like I personally, I'm very passionate about is that curriculum and working with universities, universities to prepare future professionals for the mm-hmm. industry. Based on whatever the requirements and the needs are for the future.
2: Um, yeah, we, we actually did that um, back in the early um, two thousands, two thousand three mm-hmm. or four. Um, university of Phoenix, which mm-hmm. is sort of the in the U.S. the biggest sort of virtual um, university program, they came to us uh, and we helped them develop their curriculum as a university curriculum for call center management. Um, and at the time we were honored to have been asked and honored to have been asked to write the textbooks for Mm -hmm. those (laughs) not knowing that turning out a 200 page textbook um, every month was going to be such an ordeal, but uh, we became very efficient authors at that point in our, uh, (laughs) in the (laughs) company. It was a good thing for us to do. It helped with our development and our our own courseware development and so on. But Mm -hmm. yeah, that was really the first sort of university curriculum um, that came about in terms of call center management. And a mm-hmm. big part of that was the workforce management piece. That's one of the biggest things you have to be able to know and do.
1: Yeah. So let me let me go to, to technology in a second. So, I,
3: but Andre, could I just interject yes, one, one thing here before we shift? Um, I think, and this will sound like a blatant um, pitch, as it were, but part of what you've heard is was the motivation and reasoning behind Envision acquiring the call center school. Uh, Envision, likewise, um, a technology company started scheduling, uh, addressing the scheduling and staffing tasks in the bakery industry in 1995. But as that company evolved, recognizing this strong human element and the importance of the, the human resource Uh, the mission guiding vision statement at Envision is we care deeply about people at work. And from that, it logically extends into not only technology, but also um, how that technology is utilized to create a better human experience at work. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that's why it's relevant in terms of thinking of what the contact center agent experience is like, we talk so much about customer experience and appropriately so. Mm-hmm. Uh, what really influences that customer experience is the agent experience. And to your earlier comment, as much as, a, as companies in general will talk about the contact center as being their profit center, their uh, customer facing, mm-hmm. in large part, it's still treated as a cost center. Uh, I may be somewhat jaded on that point having spent all these years uh, in the industry. And that's the, that's this balance of, of mm-hmm. optimization, if you will, we've seen it in the naming uh, that the analysts drive from workforce management initially to workforce optimization, WFM to WFO. And the most recent is WEM workforce employee management or engagement, workforce engagement uh, management, and it shows the recognition and the shift. Again, acknowledging my own biases, I think the workforce planning sector of the suite of products that, that are now in place to address human optimization and human resource development and use has a bit of a unique character as Penny mentioned, because of kind of the conceptual underpinnings that drive the decisions that software allows you to make. Mm -hmm. You can write software to do anything except wing it, (laughs) (laughs) except (laughs) except make some human judgments. You can even write now with AI, software and machine learning to do much of that. And And certainly companies will pursue it and are pursuing it. And technology has the momentum and always will how we balance that with the human experience, both in terms of of even in the case of AI and the whole notion of will it ever become sentient? Will it ever be able to have the human characteristics? There's a reason it's called artificial intelligence and not real intelligence. Uh, Perhaps in some world in the future, uh, there will be the capacity for empathy and understanding and feeling and emotion Mm -hmm or something simulating that so closely that the receiver, the perceiver cannot distinguish between it. We're not quite there yet as strong as AI and it's inevitable in its Mm -hmm. use. But anyway, just my kind of my stumping there for a little bit uh, in terms of this human characteristic, that's why uh, offerings like the call center school uh, addressing the human Mm -hmm. element and how it interplays with the technology advances remain so important.
1: I couldn't agree. And, and Jim, I think that helps even more the segue to technology that I was going to, to do because from your story, personal stories and from the stories of the industry, uh, it's super clear that technology has evolved and, and you spoke that as people evolved and we, we evolved leveraging technology to become better uh, and to do solve problems in, in a different way. Um, so technology, to a certain extent, is being as well on a, a driving force for what WFM and work for, like you mentioned, WFO, VM mm-hmm. are today. So there is a, a, definitely a clear transformation that's empowered by technology. Because like we were speaking a while back, the problems are still similar. Uh, but what changes the different technologies in the channels that we we support today that are moved from just phone to Email that mm-hmm. I mean, 20 years ago probably was was a very was a very different type of email. Mm-hmm. So Penny and Jim, my my question would be, your thoughts on the technology advancements that we have seen uh, within workforce management, um, and how did they shape the way service centers or contact centers operate today?
3: I think in general, again driven by uh, business efficiency uh, demands. Um, that there is a shift, obvious shift away from human interaction to a digital first. And and many of the technology companies tout that as a part of their offering, which is understandable and appropriate. Uh, For some time, and I can remember many years ago, the objective seemed to be not only to get the right number of people at the right time, but to get fewer and fewer people need it because, again, of the significant cost associated with that. So I think if we're talking about the kind of trends in this way and in terms yes. of the technology, uh, it will drive more and more self-service and self-directed mm-hmm. um, uh, decision making and, and information on the part of the consumer, which will require fewer humans, if you will, uh, to address the kind of routine issues. It'll also require that those that do address issues have a higher skill level uh, because the problems, Mm -hmm. once they get to that, to the uh, beyond the digital contact uh, and beyond the self kind of service, those are gonna be the more complicated problems. That has not historically necessarily been the way contact centers have been viewed. You know, it's been a frontline kind of triage, and and it's totally appropriate that we automate those types of tasks. Uh, but I think we'll see then on the back end more self-determined, self-service approach to scheduling and staff utilization. The whole gig worker uh, mm-hmm. kind of approach, where individuals that work in these roles will have more autonomy uh, over their own kind of work schedule. Uh, one of the principles, again, at Envision that we adhere to is that there these three primary motivators in life, autonomy, mastery, and a sense of purpose. And to the extent that a contact center worker, if you will, agent, rep, or whatever, can achieve those elements in their life the more satisfying the work will be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that's kind of an inevitable, inevitable trend. I think the the medium will be more and more SMS, secured messaging and chat. That's a generational mm-hmm. phenomenon. Uh, my adult children seldom answer the phone, nor use the phone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, I think the new consuming public will want that kind of instant on Mm-hmm. via either chat or text messaging,
4: uh, social right.
3: media, yes, but there's another whole kind of dynamic associated with, with social
0: media. And now a word to our sponsor, Injinsu. With Injinsu, simplicity meets power. It's a complete cloud-based AI-driven WFM solution that optimizes processes from start to finish, including forecasting, scheduling, and real-time monitoring. Empowering employees with mobile-optimized self-service portal makes employee engagement an integral part of workforce management. It combines cutting-edge functionality and seamless integration with leading contact center platform. For more information, please
1: check the first link on the description. And now, back to the podcast. Penny, do you want to give us your take on this one?
2: Yeah, really just for what Jim said, I think it was talking about evolution of the technology. I mean, we've just seen that from the, the point way back when you know, IVR was introduced and that provided the first sort of self-service. And what mm-hmm. did we see? Fewer contacts coming in? Um, maybe, but the ones that were, were that they'd gotten the routine stuff out of the way. And that has just grown exponentially with AI and, and all of the you know, options folks have to solve their own problems online. So what's actually making it into the contact center into a human representative Um, are the more difficult, challenging things, or where someone's already upset and it's no longer a transaction. Uh, You need someone that understands how to do the human interaction. I had someone say, and I just, I love this, that now our agents have to be smarter than Google. (laughs) And so finding those people, number one, um, and I want to touch on this in just a minute, the whole, how do you find these people? It's a different makeup of the workforce now, but then training them, not just in, transaction pieces which is pretty much easy now with all the tools we have
4: Mm -hmm.
2: but um, where to find information that the person who's already been on the website and everywhere else can't find and how to um, do the calming thing the you know reassuring the the interaction so the transaction piece just gets easier and easier and easier it's the interaction piece that makes the difference and what customer will remember and experience and want to come back to. So that's the key. And we're sort of transitioning, sorry, out of technology into the, the people side of it. But I just wanted to support what Jim was saying and, and finding meaningful work and what he, those three things he just said. Um, yeah. Jim and I sort of at the same time discovered this book by Daniel Pink um, years ago called drive. And it's, it's a, it's talking about how we motivate individuals in the workplace mm-hmm. and how it's, it's a different thing. And sometimes what we used to do with, here's a prize, here's a trinket, uh, do this three times. And here's a, you know, tickets or or something. There's, there's still somewhat of a role for that, but that supports and motivates people if they're just in a mindless remote, you know, checking out groceries or something. But the kind of knowledge workers we have now, that's almost demeaning Mm -hmm. motivation. Um, so we need that autonomy, sense of purpose, that that, and finding number one, the kind of people that will be motivated doing this kind of work and then training them properly and then keeping them motivated in new and unique ways, I think is really critical. So the technology has helped the transition, the transaction part so much, but it's given us a different problem to solve in terms of the, the human resource side.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh- I was going to pick on what you all said and ask you a a question which is when we look at the contact center and Jim you touched a bit on this so there are persons that refer to a huge percentage of being a a cost center if you really try to say oh no we are a revenue center others experience center service there are multiple definitions personal feeling is what we see technology trying to solve is the cost center piece not the in, in enlarging the experience, not necessarily boosting the revenue or or, or optimizing the service. Like, like you both mentioned, that the complexity of what remains is, is different. So by nature, the, you mentioned better than Google. So we need we need people that have different skill sets. Do you see that tech? What what do you think that technology? When you look at the technology and enhancements, like specifically with AI, do you see, notice any difference in focus, or do we still Aim for the same cost.
3: Well, uh, I think it has to do with with how we use technology. Th- there is no intent on the part of technology to ignore human, to ignore humanity or the human elements, if mm-hmm. you will. Uh, technology, by nature, is makes life easier, uh, and I think that. Uh, becomes then how is it utilized and implemented uh, in terms of of AI and machine learning you know the, the Holy grail from a technological perspective in workforce planning has always been the the absolute precise accurate forecast of the f- of the future uh, the reality is that sometimes history is a great representation of the future sometimes it isn't how do we know when it isn't well humans learn that they discern it they have critical thinking skills. Mm-hmm. I used to say that <clears throat> spreadsheets in the hands of a well-educated well-informed planner using spreadsheets to to uh, manipulate the algorithms and create schedules etc versus the most sophisticated software in the hands of a less informed or hardly informed uh, educated mm-hmm. user, uh, the other would still yield, yield better results. Uh, I still believe that. I think more and more pieces of that, again, the, it's kind of like with when I, when I use OpenAI or ChatGPT, and I see now that there are classes on how to create the right prompts mm-hmm. for, <laughs> for AI. That becomes the critical thinking skill. Technology, including AI, will have its biggest impact on the routine, mundane, may I say non-satisfying type mm. of jobs. that uh, That's why we care about the nature of work and the changing nature of work mm-hmm. that people do. And that's a good thing. Let's elevate kind of the work experience so that it does call for those uniquely uh, human elements. So technology in and of itself, I don't think is intended to create a less satisfying work experience, just the opposite.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and in terms of, in some instances, in terms of how it is deployed and used, uh, I think to, to the point I made earlier that, that you uh, highlighted, it is looking at reducing cost, creating greater efficiency, nothing wrong with those goals. Mm-hmm and motives whatsoever. So I think the task becomes for leaders and leadership to discern then what is the best use of human resource and how is it enabled uh, by the advancing technology that we have. I'm not a doomsayer at all about AI. (laughs) Uh, I embrace it. I'm fascinated by it. I think it holds great promise And I think it's inevitable. (laughs) I think we do not stop the march of technology, nor should we. I happen to believe that that's good for the human experience Mm -hmm. and will continue uh, to serve us. Figuring out how that changes the nature of work becomes a uniquely human task for leaders, organizational leaders, for whom within their purview are these things we call contact centers, which... By the way, Penny and I talked a little bit about this, you know, a decade ago or whatever it may be, we changed from call centers to contact centers.
4: Mm -hmm.
3: I'm not sure what the word is, but the word center doesn't serve us very well anymore. (laughs) (laughs) We are participating uh, remotely, sitting in a hotel room, we're at a trade event. Most of those representatives, associates, consultants, agents, whatever they're called, they're working from home or from mm-hmm. you know remote places mobile yeah. devices the coffee shop they're <laughs> not they're not working from centers, centers. <laughs> in the sense that that term was uh, initially applied
1: i agree we need we need to redefine it so penny if you allow me jim just to go, go to penny sure. to ask a question so you mentioned something that i really like which is you you mentioned the people learning how to do prompts uh, to use ai and i wanted to step a bit back on the you mentioned a lot about education and about the contact center school how different it is from just asking the right question when you are uninformed when you have a problem uh, there is a lot of people that say that it's more important to teach the ability to learn than actually teaching how to actually do the problem because then you can search you can find it yourself and you you are you are you have a different outcome from people but i wanted to have your thoughts since you are you have been so connected deeply connected with learning over the, the years like How different do you think it is?
2: Well, I I like what you said. There's, I think, for me, um, with a liberal arts education background, (laughs) I didn't really learn anything that I needed (laughs) for any sort of job. I was a psychology major, for for heaven's sake. Um, But during those four years, I learned how to learn. And I think that is what we would hope is coming out of our... um, certainly university system and so on, the ability just to, to take whatever problem in front of you and, and figure it out and, and learn and how to use different resources and how to get there and then how to, uh, again, very importantly, communicate that to another person. So I think that's critical. And I think as we um, look at this new workforce we have, once again, they're having to handle a much more complicated sort of question the people have already been out and tried to figure it out on their own. That's why they're calling. They wouldn't call in the first place. Well, some people would, like my mother would or my, <laughs> <laughs> whatever, but um, most are not going to do that. So they've got a, a difficult challenge. So they've got to be able to think on their feet, know how to find the information, really listening. One of the critical pieces of, I think, training these folks is listening skills, not just let me hear one word, and that leads me to let me put that in the search. But it, but really listening mm-hmm. to the words being spoken, as well as the emotions being conveyed by those words and and other other clues, um, and then figuring out the problem. And then the other key is how to communicate it back. And I think that's one of the critical pieces that's often missing uh, when I look at. Mm-hmm you know, when I talk to folks on the phone, I'm, you know, I like to be, sometimes I will call just to see how they're handling (laughs) (laughs) Handling calls. And I always, you know, feel the need to give them a, 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 usually a a compliment after it's like, Hey, I did this for years. And I just want you to know you did a fabulous job and I hope this is Mm -hmm. being recorded. Mm -hmm. And um, (laughs) as you need credit for this, it was you handled things very well, but you know, also note I'm not always tell them directly about, Oh, If only they had known to ask me this or or Mm -hmm. do this. Mm -hmm. And that's really missing sometimes. Yeah.
3: I think that's one of the risks that we have so uh, automated some of the elements of the role Mm -hmm. that it doesn't, uh, in the mind of the the staff member, they don't exercise that problem-solving muscle. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, And the really strong performers, almost in any profession, I would argue, Um, they are lifelong learners, and they're really drawn to problem solving. Uh, There are times that the difficult problem makes me want to turn and go the easy route, but there's some strange thing that happens, even if it's an irate, difficult customer or situation, even if I recognize that I have culpability or the company that I've represented has culpability, Mm -hmm. I want to dive in the middle of that and fix it. You're like, bring it. (laughs) it." And Penny and I have, we kind of are kindred spirits in that regard, whether it's competing with each other who gets through the fastest security line at an airport. (laughs) I can imagine you both running (laughs) or digging in a, You can't do that today, but in this, when you prompted us with a few prep questions about humorous experiences, there was a time when when trade shows and trade events were in their prime and something didn't arrive when it should have arrived. And we were allowed to go into a, a dispatch area and dig through a FedEx truck. To find our package.
2: The others were not problem solving fast enough for us. That's right. So we, we wanted. It. Now.
4: We Will
3: you let soul. us in there? Would you let us? And in that time That's period, we would. That wouldn't happen wouldn't now. Happen now
4: yeah.
3: But the point of that being, you know, the, the, the role of curiosity. I mean, most of my career in technology has been in sales and business development and sales management. The role of curiosity in sales success and I think in success in general is major. Uh, I I am drawn to people that have this innate or just inherent, it's in their DNA, to be curious, to Mm -hmm. want to know more, to learn more. And so can we find those individuals, which I think will be more and more in demand, uh, because as Penny alluded, anybody can there's this term, you may edit this out, GTS. Anybody can Google that shit, (laughs) Uh, almost anybody. But when it comes to what you do with it and how you bring that to the problem at hand, and, and some problems, I don't mean problems are always negative. It's just the task at hand to make that a satisfying experience in light of the goal or objective. That's that key developmental kind of um element, you want to create organizations mm-hmm. that encourage that. Uh and you want people to represent your organization uh to bring that to the task in serving your customers.
1: Yeah, I, I will I will take on what you were saying and you mentioned before the the comparison between the different professionals and how they are we we keep them the skill set being the, the, difference, the, the differentiator. So Despite all the advancements in technology, I would say and argue that the human aspect and the skill set still remains the most vital part of the equation. Um, and when I look at workforce management, one of the recent shifts I noticed, at least in my career, even though mm-hmm. it's not as long as yours, um, what I noticed is that there, was a, there is a much bigger people-centric Approach. When we are dealing with problems, we, we try to put ourselves in the in the perspective of the, the, the other person on the other side. Mm-hmm. While back in the day, even when I started, it was very straightforward, very numbers oriented, like mm-hmm. one more, one less. We couldn't care. um, We couldn't care much. How do you see the roles within workforce management changing over time? Uh, like one of the things that a previous guest said is that the skill set is very different. Compared to what it was used to be before, I would love to have your thoughts. What do you think? The
2: skill set of the workforce, the workforce professionals,
3: planner, planner, the the individuals that are charged with doing the workforce planning. You want to go first? You want
1: to? Well,
2: I I see that it's it's a much more um, sophisticated, well-rounded person. Um, I'm very involved. I helped start um, SWPP, Society of Workforce mm-hmm. Planning Professionals. And so I participate in that conference every year. So I'm going over 20 years now. And there's always a um, Workforce Management Professional of the Year Award. And when you hear the nominations and what these people have done, it's like, wow, I never could have <laughs> done any of that or, and earned that award. I mean, it's, it's really amazing the... Um, the skills they have, the analytical skills, but also what Jim was saying, the curiosity, the top five, the finalists, you hear those projects they've done and they have figured out some new way to do something and it was non-traditional and they tried something new and it, you know, it worked. But a lot of that had to do with really understanding uh, and more and more, there's more and more shift to scheduling around the needs of the uh, employees rather than scheduling the employees around the needs of the business so really, as, again, we're, we've got these way more valuable people to us now. They, they have to be smarter, trained better. Um, so it's really important that we keep them. So let's make them as happy as possible. And the good news is, with this gig economy, and then working these bizarre sets of you know schedules, four hours here, three hours here. Gosh, that's exactly what we've been needing over the years that we couldn't do with mm-hmm. split shifts and, and all that. But now it's, it's possible. Thank God we have the tools to figure out all the math. But it's enabled us to schedule to those folks needs more. And that's what I see with these Um, these new workforce managers, professionals, it's just so exciting to see the growth and evolution of that whole industry and field um, of uh, again, but much of it is trending towards Mm -hmm. still, still all about cost savings. Don't get me wrong, but um, doing it in such innovative ways is, Mm -hmm. is exciting to see.
3: Yeah, I would agree with that. I think, I think maybe there's a movement, particularly in enterprise class operations uh, that recognize individuals in the role of using this technology, the, this technology being sophisticated workforce management tools, uh, is a uh, high level uh, skill set. Mm-hmm. Historically, uh, we've had this term that the, the career path in a contact center, a call center used to be agent, supervisor, and then what's next? Well, it may, one of the options might be either in quality assurance or in workforce planning. And uh, one of the things we've always said is keep in mind that ability is not a skill. Uh, and so if you're looking to fill those positions, just because somebody has done well on this kind of path. And I think in the enterprise class operations, there's recognition of that. And it it does call for this kind of combination of some aptitude or comfort with with mathematics and technology because it's so embedded there just in terms of an understanding not that you have to do the calculation or the algorithms which are mind-boggling that's what software is created to do and and ai Mm -hmm. and machine learning but then the application of that uh technology are along the the attributes and characteristics that we've discussed. The interesting thing is, is that the so-called long tail of the market Mm -hmm. is towards smaller calls, contact centers. Um, You'll still have the large enterprise class, excuse me, the 50 agent, 100 agent, maybe even 200 agent, that all of a sudden you've grown and you have this business. Um, There was a time early on when this happened and people didn't know they were a call center. They didn't call them that. Uh, We alluded to kind of come full circle when the toll free numbers were offered by at the time, AT&T, there was something called the 1-800 club and I kind of cut my teeth in sales. The 1-800 club in the U S was any company that had a toll free number and, and I got a hold of this list and I would call this number. And somebody would answer and they would say, uh, this is Andre with uh, Timberland. How can I help you? <laughs> and I would say, well, I have who my name was. And I was with the company TCS. And we provide a software solution for uh, call centers. About 50% of the time, they would say, what's a call center? <laughs> <laughs> to which I would apply.
2: How many of you are there? <laughs> exactly.
3: <laughs> and then they were centers. If you look around yourself, how many people are doing what you do. He said, oh, there are five or six of us. I said, well, our solution is typically designed for when you get 35, 40, 50 and above. And occasionally I would say, oh, somebody would answer and they would say, well, I don't know. There are probably several hundred of us here in this abandoned Kmart or (laughs) whatever big box store. And then the lights would go off in my mind and I knew I had a prospect. Uh, So they didn't even call themselves call centers. That's happening now in this long tail of the market, small operations. They start recognizing, hey, we need to get better at this. Uh, And we've had some growth and what technology is available. That's a prime opportunity for education, for Mm -hmm. the call center school, um, as it were. Because, again, that's the underpinning to the things that we've mentioned before about how to use technology. It's technology, the the call center school is what we say, technology agnostic or independent. It is not training on using a given software solution. It's training on addressing on a range of areas for frontline staff in terms of how to deal with difficult calls, for example, or listening skills, et cetera. Supervisors who may not have had any leadership training or coaching training. Mm As well as in the specialty areas of workforce planning and, and knowing a bit about uh, what the concepts are that the technology is in.
1: And and I I I really like the way you, you pictured it on on that learning piece because if, if we go full circle with what you said in the beginning, so you, you can have professionals like and I I think this I think Penny said that it's about knowing how to learn, but also teach the. The fundamental skills that then help you, regardless of the software, regardless of the challenge, you have your brain can start going places thinking about how to address the problem. It's the problem solving aspect that you you mentioned before that I I really like that um, that you mentioned it. So. I wanted to go a bit more personal. Uh, so you already shared your experience uh, moving back, like I don't know, many years. Um, I'm quite sure that you have more stories. You're kind. Than You're kind I
3: put a number on how many the years are.
1: <laughs> I, I was I was trying to count, but I, I can't recall. Uh, but I was going to say, so you sh- already shared st- stories about uh, trying to find uh, within FedEx, trying to find uh, missing missing items. But I wanted to go back on to your journey together as professionals. Um, Surely there are stories that you you could could be a good laugh. But I, is there any one any particular story that could be like a, a rookie mistake or something that you'd be like, oof? let
3: uh, first. Oh. I just want to say that at the
4: outset. <laughs>
3: well,
2: <clears throat> so during our years, Jim and I, um, Jim headed up sales and I headed up marketing for many mm-hmm. years together. So we had the opportunity to. Experiment, again, finding new solutions to problems. <laughs> so one of our solutions to gain attention at trade shows, you know, we're from Nashville, so we, we tried, we thought, let's do some kind of music stuff. And then at one trade show, Jim had actually hired the shoeshine guy to come over and he, we, we would give people free coupons to go get their shoe shine. It's, so we it's... decided to put those two together and we hired some singers and a shoe shine guy. So the shoe shine guy taught the singers how to. So we we set up part of our trade show booth as singing shoe shines.
3: And this, and- <laughs> this was a time at which it mattered in a business attire. You know,
0: I should mention up. that. Yeah, people
3: dressed up. Yeah.
0: Okay, I, I can imagine.
3: <laughs> I went and found somebody that could shine shoes because I had a number of sales staff. Men in this case that showed up, and I thought your shoes look terrible. I'm gonna have go over here and have your shoes shine, and then this evolved, as Penny said, into the singing. Uh, what if shoe- they could sing while yeah. they were
2: shining? say
3: that three times? And singing was, shoe shine.
2: Well, and the idea was uh, brilliant because we would get people in our booths, draw them in with the singers who were fantastic. And then um, you sit there, have your shoes on. We've got a captive audience there. Um, and you've got to listen to our spiel while you're getting your shoes on. So it was um, actually more popular with the guys. Women didn't really yeah, want to sit just, there and have their shoes It shot.
4: just strikes so me so out was, yeah, how that era. Yeah,
2: and, and everyone around us hated it because it was noisy and it was whatever. So I I'm can't
1: imagine.
2: But we
3: became noticed. We were
2: no. noticed, and that's what, what marketing is about, right?
1: That was good to say. Sometimes
2: yeah. any attention
1: is good attention. Yeah.
2: We've actually done some. We had uh, customers in one year, and they're in Nashville. We took them to a recording studio and actually recorded a song about workforce management and scheduling.
3: It's called Work This Schedule Tonight. I yeah. something like that, yeah. which at the time was also was a, a song. country song, yeah. similar. Could
2: you, would you, ain't you gonna, if I asked you, yeah. would you yes. wanna yeah. work
4: this I
1: schedule was, tonight? I was hoping we yeah. wouldn't have to endure an actual <laughs> I industry, was going to but... ask, but I apparently I, I didn't have to. That's all you are going to get. <laughs> you, you had amazing careers and, and we are getting close to the end. And I, one of the things I wanted to take from you is what advice would you give to someone that is entering now the contact center industry, or not center, let's say this space, this industry, or workforce management specifically, considering all the experience you have accumulated, like what advice would you give to someone?
2: Want to go first? Sure. Um, <clears throat> well, I gave this some thought again, you gave us some questions to think about earlier. And just like I was saying, these workforce management professionals of the year, um, they were always kind of looking for a, a new challenge. And I think I would, I would say that, like, don't just go the easy path. Um, I hate for someone to see someone that's gotten a job. is like, Oh yeah, it's like you know, eight to five and I'm done. I don't have to think about it anymore. And uh, like, Oh, that can't be very exciting or much potential um, in that. So I think choose the hard path. And I actually, there's two favorite quotes that I found. Um, these are both kind of American. I know this is, you have a global audience. These are both American things, but, <laughs> Um, so, um, Kennedy, as he was coming into office said, talking about the space programs that we choose to go to the moon and do other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. And then one of my favorite movies is a league of their own about <laughs> the women who took over baseball for a while. And the star player, Dottie is, she decides to quit and, and, and go home at the end of the season and coach Tom Hanks. Is asking her, why are you leaving? She said, it, it just got too hard. And he says, Too hard? Well, you love it because it's hard. If it were easy, everybody would do it. It's the hard that makes it great. And I, I think that's it. I like to look for it. I like challenging things, whether it's learning a new sport or a new something. I'm, I still am online taking college classes now in my, I don't want to tell y'all, but I like to learn new things and experience mm-hmm. new things. And that that sort of attribute, I think, has really served me well throughout my career, doing my work, but always looking for what else can I do? What's the next challenge? Uh, and it's opened a lot of a lot of doors. Um, so I'd say go go for the hard stuff.
1: Jim, what would be
3: yours? I, I've alluded to some of it. I think already this commitment to lifelong learning and mm-hmm. kind of having a uh, problem solver. A mindset uh, almost seeing every situation as a problem the notion problem has uh, the word problem has this these kind of negative connotations
4: mm-hmm.
3: but it's uh, it's kind of like improve everything yeah this is great how can we make it marginally at sometimes how can we make it better um, and I think that's kind of the advice I would give in terms of a mindset we kind of shared, you know, this idea of looking at some inspirational kinds of messages. Uh, I've had this love-hate relationship with retirement for about the last 10 years. I keep (laughs) thinking I'll do that, whatever that is. And about three years ago, uh, I was with Envision uh, previously as a part of the acquisition of the call center school when I joined Penny and and Maggie. Uh, And when Envision Uh, acquired the call center school. And then I left and did some other things and kind of thought maybe this was the time, but I'd stayed in touch with Peter Bolenbeck, the CEO there. And a little over three years ago, I was drawn back by Peter's vision of a transformational organization as a result of just some of his uh, personal growth and experiences and Mm -hmm. uh, kind of was drawn back into this industry that's hard to leave. The contact center industry has a certain draw to it, the, the technology, the human elements or whatever. Um, and I think part of what we try to do and what the advice I would give is to cultivate the desire and openness to learn. Um, a couple of my authors, the, there's a author, Chris McGough, who wrote a book called The Primes, it has a rather auspicious subtitle of how any group can solve any problem. And he talks about trust the universe. Most of what is needed is available in the universe and visualize beyond what you know. And I'm, I think that's the one of the elements of advice. The other is from a technology icon, and you may have heard it, your listeners may have heard it, Steve Jobs, who said, we're here to put a dent in the universe. Otherwise, why else be here? And I f- I'm drawn to that, just a dent. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think my contribution, I, I hope not to overestimate it. I don't think it's been significant on a major scale, but to have the opportunity to work with colleagues like Penny and to work with the team that I work with now and other individuals to work with you, Andre, Uh, is enriching. And I think making the most of those interactions and those human relationships uh, is energizing to me.
1: It was a tremendous pleasure to have you on the show. Um, I know we are way above what I expected the time to be, but to kind of summarize any final message to the listeners um, from your side...
3: I think I've opined enough uh, <laughs> and I uh, 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 appreciate. One more thing
2: is if you get the chance to work with good friends uh, throughout the years, what, what could be better?
1: Uh, I am sure it, it, may, it makes life much easier when you are sharing the journey with, with friends. I, I, can, I, I can see you on the way you speak that you have been doing this for such a long time that it's all about having fun. I, I normally say that to my team. We spend so much time together Let's have fun while we we are in the workspace. It makes life much easier because then when we get away from the the work, we we have our family and we can relax because we don't Mm -hmm. have the problems to carry. Uh, And and sometimes work is just our extended family. I
3: agree. A friend of mine, I heard her uh, another associate of mine comment about this concept of work life balance, often kind of puts these two elements of our like, yeah. And it's really more like a tapestry. And -hmm. if you can interweave and find work that brings meaning to all of life, it may not be on a par with the same meaning you derive out of family and children and, uh, and dear friends. But those two things do not have to be in polar opposition, uh, work life and personal life. And as Penny said, if you can find that kind of uh, opportunity, uh, colleagues, even if they are for a relatively short period of time, that uh, enliven you and uh, encourage you and provide, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, kind of the energizing that, uh, that you're looking for. It's a, it's a precious thing.
1: Thank you. Jamie Penny, once more, thank you for thank joining today. For
4: having
2: us, it was yes. so yeah. fun for us. Thank all, you.
1: All the best for your future endeavors, uh, and I'm, I will be watching from the outside the remaining of your journey.
3: Well, let's let's add each other to our network and
1: and make this uh, an
3: occasional, if not regular, kind of contact. And thank mm-hmm. you for this opportunity.
0: Thank you. The episode today was sponsored by Injinxium. For more, visit the first link on the description below.